Pulp MX Network production. To this day, when I hear that song, I see you standing there on that lawn. Discount shades, store bought tank, flip flops, and cut off jeans. Somewhere between that. A new view from inside the truck. X-Racer to Racer and Eye to Eye. A casual look into the personalities of the sport and an experienced perspective into the action from week to week. It's Jason Thomas's Industry Seating. Presented by Pirelli Tires. Fly Racing, Blends All Racing Motor Oil, Works Connection, Plum Creek Funding, 612 Suspension, Fast Foundry, and Pro Glow. Welcome to the Industry Seating Podcast. My name is Jason Thomas and it is August 15th, which is a Monday. I'm coming to you from the Pulpamex studios. I'm in Las Vegas and uh, I'll be doing the Pulpamex show tonight with uh, Steve and Chris Kiefer and uh, my co-worker Max Steffens. We're talking about all the uh, 2023 Fly Racing stuff. Um, new line came out this weekend, so that's super exciting. And uh, yeah, it's just that time. Um, you know, Steve and Pulpamex show are a, a huge part of our marketing campaign for fly racing so uh try to get down here as much as i can but if you've been paying attention you'll know my uh my time is not the easiest thing to uh, to spread around at the moment um just to give you an idea i can't, i was in sweden uh you know eight days ago for mxgp which uh, many of you probably already knew came home on monday which is you know a 20-hour trip or so was in the office uh, Tuesday and Wednesday, and then flew to Syracuse, which the routing right now with airlines, uh, that's a whole different topic. It's just terrible. They've cut so many flights. It's really difficult to get places at the moment. So that makes everybody that travels quite a bit, it makes our life harder. So finally got to Syracuse, go through the weekend there. Um, phenomenal weekend of weather and all those things. And obviously that's what we'll talk about on this podcast. But then I fly to Vegas on Sunday. I will fly back to Boise tomorrow. And then I'll fly to Washington, D.C. on Thursday. So, uh, I mean, no one, no one should feel sorry for me. That's, that's definitely not at all what my message is. It's more of just uh, I haven't had a lot of free time to, uh, to do much of anything. So I'm really prioritizing workloads and everything else there is. Um, that's also why I didn't get a podcast done last week. And, um, yeah, it happens. You know, I do probably 45 shows a year. So here and there, I'm just going to have uh, to miss out and then kind of recap. So MXGP was great. Uh, awesome weekend in Sweden. Weather was phenomenal. Uh, we got really lucky with the rain there, to be honest. Um, cool to see all those guys and, and be really a part of the global motocross scene. Like I have so many friends over there now and get to do the television broadcast over there. Then come back here, see this series, get to compare, um, do the, you know, the pit reporting gig here <clears throat> for Lucas Pro Motocross, which I'm really enjoying. And actually I wasn't I wasn't nervous this weekend, thankfully. Um, I get a little bit nervous before the stand-ups, which they're called a stand-up, like right before the moto when they come down to me and I talk on camera. I get a little bit nervous about that because it's kind of like a monologue and I'm scared I'm going to trip over my words. And it, it's just the only nerve-wracking part for me anymore. The interviews, the mid-race stuff where we will you know, toss it down to me. Like none of that stuff really bothers me. Um, so I, I'm kind of working through that stuff and I'm starting to enjoy it more than I was really stressing. Like those of you who follow me on Twitter or whatever, you know, how stressed I was early in the season. I was so nervous, uh, about how this was going to go each weekend that it was kind of taking the fun out of it a little bit. Um, but now we're kind of on the other side of that where 
I'm going into it. I'm not, you know, I'm driving to the track on Saturday morning and I'm not worried really, you know, I want to do my best job and there's a little bit of butterflies, but not, not nerves like there was before. So I'm thankful for that. Uh, before we jump into talking about what happened at Unadilla, I want to thank the sponsors of the industry seating podcast, Pirelli tires. Uh, they had a bunch of guys do really well, uh, at Loretta lens, obviously in Sweden, they're such a huge part of MXGP. They have, you know, most of the, uh, the top guys in MXGP and, um, yeah. And then Lucas Oil Promotocross, or they have such a strong privateer presence too. A lot of those guys are using the MX32, uh, which is kind of the, the standard for me. It was kind of the standard rear tire. You know, they can use, uh, the, the scoop tire. Those, the guys in Europe will use the scoop tire. I'm sure last weekend or actually yesterday in Finland, they use the scoop tire quite a bit. You don't see it quite as much in the U.S. because we don't have um, as many sand tracks as they do. But uh, either way, Pirelli has every tire um, need you could want. They have the answer for. Plum Creek Funding, uh, if you want to reach out to Zach Morris, his, his cell phone number is 720-212-4685. And if you've been paying attention to the housing market, we're in the midst of kind of a paradigm shift where it's really been a seller's market for the past, what, two years and we're starting to transition into what I believe will be more of a buyer's market. Uh, inventories are ramping, interest rates are climbing. Um, there are, you know, like there are not many as many buyers in the market, so sellers are getting a little bit more desperate, which also couples with rates to bring prices down. Um, and you can Google any housing chart out there, and you'll see exactly what I'm talking about. It's having a, a pretty big effect on uh on housing right now so i think it's only going to get worse um, i don't think we're anywhere near what you know quote unquote the bottom uh so if you're a potential buyer like i am hoping to be i, I would like to buy something in boise um we may get our opportunity you know you, you're i would suggest being patient i would suggest reaching out to zach and getting his advice on things and and everybody's going to have their own opinions he may feel like we're at a an interim bottom now i personally don't but either way, get information. The information is seriously your best friend. It's, it, it is power. Like you hear that cliche all the time, but knowing what's going on, knowing what kind of to expect so you can position yourself and put yourself in the best financial uh, spot is, is no matter what the application is, whether it's uh, your 401k or your, the housing market, or if you're looking to invest or whatever, it doesn't matter. Information is always uh, a plus. So reach out to Zach and uh, just get his opinion. Guts Racing, uh, I have to give them a lot of credit. I was in um, Sweden, and man, the Husky team over there at Standing Construct Husqvarna did this throwback look for Udavala, and I noticed the gut seat cover, and I was like, damn, that look is so awesome. Um, and I, I wasn't expecting it. I didn't know it was coming, and it was a throwback to uh, Torsten Hallman was there actually at the event, and they had a big you know meet and greet and, and photo op with him. But I just thought that that was so well executed and uh, just looked really, really cool. So if you if you want to do stuff like that, like custom stuff, or ask Guts Racing how they can you know hook your bike up and make it look like the factory teams either here or there, um, yeah, that's what I would recommend. Reach out to Andy Gregg at Guts Racing and get dialed in. Fast Foundry, uh, you know the markets are pretty crazy right now. We've had this huge bounce, but I don't necessarily think that's indicative of what's going on in the business world. There are a lot of companies that are struggling. If you pay as much attention as I do, you'll notice that a lot of companies are doing layoffs. Uh, even the, the mega cap stuff like Microsoft and 
of course, a lot of the others, you know, Facebook, which is now Meta, Snapchat, all these companies are doing these significant layoffs and they're hiring freezes and they're cutting travel. They're making all these travel restrictions. It's because they're analyzing data and seeing that the economy is slowing down and they're trying to get in front of it. Okay. The stock market is probably looking out a year from now after all that. They're either wrong or they're looking ahead of it. But for your business, if you own a small business, if you're trying to put yourself in the best position financially for the future, why not reach out to Fast Foundry, reach out to Robert Carrico, get information, see how he can help you get your business in the best spot possible. That, again, I mentioned that when I was talking about housing or whatever. If you have a business, whether it's you work at a business, work at a company, you're a decision maker, or you have your own company, why would you not want to be in the best position possible? And there are so many experts in so many fields that thankfully they're all moto people that can help you do that. So reach out to, uh, to Fast Foundry. Works Connection, they rip starts. Uh, again, Justin Cooper, both hole shots this weekend. Uh, I, I, stop me if you've heard that before, right? Dylan Ferrandez, first moto hole shot. Eli Tomac, first lap, he's out front. So it was basically a you know, pro-launch start device massacre this weekend from Works Connection. Um, you know, it's super easy to install. It's not complicated. They have a proven track record. The factory teams all choose it. That's why, you know, because it works, it's easy, it's reliable, uh, and the results speak for themselves. So, uh, use the promo code JT21 and get yourself a pro launch start device today. If you're, if you're going racing, I don't know why you would not have it. Like you're going to get, you're going to get destroyed on the start. If you don't have a start device and works connection has the best one out there. Pro glow wash, uh, use the promo code moto 15. And uh, big things coming from, uh, from Progo Wash, great company. Um, and, I, and I think the future is very bright for that Progo uh, product. Uh, if you have side-by-side, street bike, dirt bike, whatever, uh, why not get something that's built for power sports? It's built for the type of dirt and grime that we're all accustomed to. Um, they have figured it out. They have the formulation for it. So Proglo, Moto15 is your promo code there. Grant Stone Boots, of course, always have me looking good. And Fly Racing, uh, we'll be talking about that a lot tonight on the uh, on the Pulp Show. So let's jump into this thing. I appreciate your patience as I work through those sponsor reads. Um, I know it's not what you are listening to this podcast for. And, and trust me, I listen to podcasts, I don't want to say all day, but a lot. Um, a couple a day, let's, let's put it that way. So I know what it's like to listen to sponsors that I don't always care about. I understand the dynamic of it, but I try to do my part and listen to them just because I know that's how this industry works, right? Companies are spending, you know, their hard earned income to sponsor these podcasts and get in front of you. They want to reach new customers and continue engagement with existing customers. So, um, in, in that light, I appreciate your patience and, uh, and your attention as I, I, wor- I work through them. So as for Unadilla, you know, 250 class, um, I'd be lying if I said, I thought Joe Shimoda was going to go out and win. He, he's been great. Don't get me wrong, right? Three, three for fourth at Washougal. He had been running around the podium quite a bit. So it wasn't like this huge shocker, but that first moto was really impressive by him. And I remember in the first moto talking to myself saying, wow, he's good. Um, I was just watching him both live and on the, uh, the live feed camera that was in the area I was in. And it was just really impressive, the technique, the intensity, um, the confidence he was showing out front, like he wasn't scared to be out front. And uh, yeah, I got to talk to him multiple times throughout the day on the podium. And then I interviewed him after for the, uh, the post show that goes on MAP TV on Tuesday nights. And yeah, he's a really nice kid, really well-spoken, super polite. 
And I, I like cheering for, uh, for people like that. So good job for Joe Shimoda. Justin Cooper, I mean, he, you have to feel like he lost a pretty big opportunity in that first moto, right? I don't know if he beats Joe or not because Joe was just on one in that first moto. But I think it would have been good enough to win the overall because I think he gets second for sure in that first moto. And then he wins the second moto, you know, and it's ifs and buts. I get it. Like the whole dynamic changes, all that. But he, he for sure in between motos just kicking himself, right? He had to be so frustrated because not only is he trying to win Unadilla, it's his home race. He's trying to turn his season around and he's also trying to get this motocross nation spot, you know, and, and it, all three of those dynamics are playing out when you crash out of the lead you can feel all of it slipping away like not even slipping away just ripped away and I I was just watching him kind of circulate mid-race knowing how furious he had to be uh inside his helmet so nice job from him in the second moto bounce back kind of undid the negatives from the day right if if you were like shrugging your shoulders like well there goes you know motocross nations for cooper after the first moto the second moto, I think you were able to wipe that feeling away. Like that sense of negativity was gone. And now it's going to be a really tough decision again. And I'll touch on that a little bit later. Uh, Jet Lawrence, crash fest, right? Like out of character for him, for sure. But I feel like he was overriding the track a little bit. I think he lost his composure a little bit. Um, and that's not normal for him. So I'm not going to condemn him for it. He's, he's still your points leader. He only lost two points to his brother Hunter. Um, but any of those crashes could have resulted in injury. And that's the thing he's, he's, he has to learn still. And I actually thought that he had that figured out, but he's still learning. He's still young, right? So we can't, I guess, get ahead of ourselves with what we expect him to be able to just handle every situation. But I just thought he, he was pushing too much, right? There are going to be days where you just have to take a second place. And (laughs) Eli Tomac that we'll get to is a perfect example of those days where it's just not going to happen for you today. You're not going to be able to find the pace. You're not on your best game. The track doesn't exactly work with you. Your bike settings are off. Like any number of things can go on and they will go on. All of those will happen to you over the course of your career. So the more you can adapt and stay calm and accept what's coming at you and just make the best of a bad situation, then I think he'll grow from that, right? He's going to become a better rider mentally, physically, his overall race craft will adapt and improve because of days like Saturday. And thankfully it didn't hurt him. That's the most important part is he was able to escape those crashes without catastrophe, right? He's just going to get to move on. He's probably riding today in Florida and he'll go to Bud's Creek and probably win, right? He'll probably win Bud's Creek. Uh, That would be my guess. Uh, But he took a lot of chances on Saturday uh, and he's, He's very lucky, A, he didn't hurt himself, and B, that his brother, Hunter Lawrence, that we're going to talk about right now, had a lot of mistakes as well. Otherwise, he could have cost himself a ton of points. He could have opened the door back up in this championship. And uh, thankfully, Hunter Lawrence had more issues. And stop me if you've heard this before, but it's kind of been the same story. I'm not saying this time it was his fault. He did crash on his own in the second moto, but... He had more problems and that, you know, he thought it was an engine issue. They switched engines in between motos. The rear brake was locking up, he said, and he thought that was a, an engine problem from when they switched engines, but something was going on with his rear brake. So that was, he kind of took credit for being mistaken there, but he certainly lost a ton of time. 
he let a bunch of people pass him and then he kind of got going again and then crashed the, he put his best lap in and then the next lap he crashed. You could tell he was trying to ramp up intensity and make up for lost ground. And then he, he screwed up trying to push too hard. So what could have been a really positive day for him in, in the championship, he could have made up points on his brother because the door was open. He only makes up two points. And that has been the story of Hunter Lawrence's summer. Great riding, great pace. Um, I would argue is, you know, his best form ever, but he's just making mistakes. And it, this one wasn't necessarily his fault. I know the bike thing wasn't necessarily his fault, but you could just as easily say, well, his brother DNF red butter, this isn't even a championship fight anymore. If jet doesn't DNF the first motor red, but it's, it's a full race lead right now. So take that for what it's worth. Um, I just think it's notable that jet and, or excuse me, Hunter is still making mistakes and even, the bike problems be damned. He still crashed. He still fell over and lost, uh, lost an opportunity to make up points. So let's jump into our 450 class. As you guys know, or maybe don't know, uh, in this, uh, the 450 class, I do my power rankings and it's kind of a jumping off point for the key guys. Um, I, and I like to keep track of their progress or maybe regression throughout the season. And, um, yeah, as we move into what next year will be, uh, what is it? The, uh, super motocross championship or whatever the hell it's called. I, I don't, I don't like that name at all. Um, but I think having like, you know, a grand national championship is a great idea. Like I, I really like the concept of that uh, because it is to be great in the sport. You need to be good at both disciplines. And that's what American racing is all about is switching from supercross to motocross and vice versa. So I'm cool with it. Like, I don't think, uh, yeah, I don't think there's anything wrong with, um, having, you know, like the power rankings be a big judge of how the season is going, because I think that's what we all judge on anyway, right? If you have an incredibly good supercross season and you just suck all summer, no one's going to be thrilled about that. Like that's not going to be like, Oh yeah, no worries. Nobody cares about outdoors. You can say it's not as important. That's fine. But it's, I mean, people care, right? There's, there's a lot of money being spent and a lot on the line. So I, uh, I think it's cool. Like I, I like having, um, a, a big picture kind of view of, of the sport. So at number 10, um, this week is Joey Savacci and he moved down a little bit and I don't necessarily, I didn't move him down because of poor performance. That wasn't it. Um, it just the way this shook out and you'll see why, but Joey's been pretty good. Like he's having a decent season. He's a, he was a fill in guy for this summer for, for Adam Cincerillo He's been kind of a mainstay in the top 10. He's qual like, I think he was second in qualifying practice. I don't know if he finished there, but he was right there in the first qualifying practice. Like he's doing all the things that Kawasaki would want him to do. And I, I think he's been pretty solid. So on his bad days, he's a top 10 guy on his good days. He's a top five guy. And, uh, that there's something to be said for that. Like, that's not easy. <laughs> that's not a, you know, a gimme in this class. Number nine, Dylan Ferrandis. And I have to say Ferrandis impressed me. I watched him in uh, qualifying, and, and I was like, man, this is going to be tough. He didn't look that fast to me. Um, I, you know, he just didn't look like he had a lot of intensity, and I was kind of like, eh, this might be like a 10-10 type day for Ferrandis or 10-12 type day. Well, he was much better than that. He obviously rips a whole shot in the first moto and is just ripping, right? He gets shuffled back a little bit, but for him to even be in that mix, and he kind of regrouped. And went back after those guys, which I thought was really compelling. Like, really nice job from him there to do that. 
And then the second moto, like, he was still pretty good. Like, I, I thought he may have a big drop-off, like, sore, the thumb would be hurting, um, you know, just wear and tear throughout the race day. He would suffer in that second moto, and, and he was fine. So, nice job from Ferrandis. I think it only gets better from here. And, uh, yeah, he over-delivered from kind of what I expected. Maybe not what I expected on Friday, but after I watched him on Saturday morning, then he kind of over-delivered. Like, his racecraft was good, his start was good, his... Like he wasn't scared to get at the front and I don't think he would be scared. I don't mean scared, like fear. I mean, tentative, right? He's been hurt. He hasn't raced like hesitant to mix it up with the lead group. And it, it didn't feel like he was that at all. So I, I think his, uh, his improvement and his acceleration curve will be pretty steep from here. Aaron Plessinger, good day for him, right? He needed that really bad because he's had a tough go as of late. Uh, made some pretty big bike changes. I've heard as of, you know, they had that two weekend break, which is almost three full weeks. So you can really kind of go back to the drawing board on, on changing the bike around and you have time to work through things patiently. And you can kind of think about what you're doing because you don't have like, okay, I get two days to ride this week. And then we're right back to the race. Like, it's not that it's, we have all week, the first week that I don't have to do motos. I can just test. I can just worry about what my bike is doing. We have lots of time. I can get my motos in some other day. And uh, it looked like he was a big benefactor of having that time off, sorting the bike out. And then also, this is a track he really likes. Um, I don't think he necessarily loved the prep of the track. We made mention of that on uh, the review podcast we did. But I still think that track kind of gives him good vibes. And any time a track, you go into it and you you just think you're going to do well, a lot of times that's all you need. Like if you think you're going to do well, a lot of times you do well because your attitude's better, your confidence is better, you want to be at the front, you trust yourself on that racetrack, and that typically results in good results. Um, And that's what we saw from AP. Number seven, I have Justin Barsha, and I just kind of shrugged my shoulders at Barsha's outdoor season. It hasn't been awful. You know, Redbud was really good. But if you look at the history of Justin Barsha and the outdoor championship, it's been a really strong one. Um, you know, JGR Suzuki, not good, obviously. But, you know, he was a top three week in and week out in this, in this guy in this series for years. And he hasn't really been consistently there this year. Um, I don't know if it's a bike thing or if it's a him thing or I don't know. I don't have any real answers. Um, it's more of just kind of an observational thing for me. It's just like he doesn't look that great. Doesn't have a lot of speed. His starts aren't necessarily there. Um, it's just kind of been blah. Not awful. Again, like I said, just kind of blah. Like a shoulder shrug and move on type of summer for Justin Barsha. Number six is Ryan Dungey. I don't think Unadilla is a great track for Dungey. Um, in my opinion, to ride Unadilla well, you have to be willing to kind of push the envelope because Unadilla doesn't instill a lot of confidence. The traction is at a premium, so you don't ever really feel like you're planted. You're, both your front and rear tire are hopping all over the place the entire time. Like you saw Jet Lawrence have issues like he's losing the front and losing the rear and bouncing all over the place. That is a perfect example of how Unadilla feels to go really fast. And I know from experience, I, I really struggled at that racetrack to ever feel confident. Doesn't mean I always sucked on the results side. But I never felt good. I never like was like, okay, I'm locked in. I can go. I can push the envelope here. I don't feel like Unadilla ever gives you that feeling. And for Dungey, I think he is a rider that wants to feel comfortable. He doesn't want to take a lot of chances. 
So if everything's good and there's traction and the track will allow you to push hard, I think that really helps Dungey because he can be at his best then. He trusts himself in those scenarios. He's willing to go fast in those scenarios. Um, and, and it's just something that I, it's just a personal belief of mine where it's like riders have tendencies, riders have strength and weaknesses, just like anything else in life. And I feel like when Dungey, everything is confident and he's like, okay, I'm really comfortable. He will go as fastest. And I don't feel like Unadilla offers that, you know, again. So, um, I wasn't expecting much from Dungey. We didn't get a lot from him either. Um, and I, I think that's probably why I think he'll be better at Bud's Creek. I think he'll be better at maybe at Ironman and then Fox Raceway, who knows, but Bud's Creek to me was kind of the opposite of Unadilla. You can trust Bud's Creek's dirt. There's a lot of traction. Um, there's ruts, there's berms. Like there's a lot to me to work from comparatively to Unadilla where Unadilla, you're just like on the side of the tire the entire time. And there's no trust factor at all. I think Bud's Creek offers the exact opposite of that. Well, so we'll see if I'm right or wrong. That's just my personal opinion. Uh, Christian Craig, number five had a huge crash in practice. I'm talking big. And for those of you who are watching the, uh, the practice session on flow racing or whatever, I, I think they showed it. It was big. Um, People around him probably kind of wondering if he should have been out there. I think they're thinking he hit his head a little bit. That's not for me to decide. I just heard a few rumors of that. Um, he didn't look right in the race to me. Uh, he just looked like he was kind of out of it. And a lot of times what happens when you when you crash like that in practice, you just kind of take the edge off a bit. Like these guys are so amped up coming into race day. You know, they're everything in their life professionally you know, all the work they do, preparation, everything, the success and failure that is determined on Saturdays, right? Like midweek and all that stuff doesn't matter. You're judged almost like as your worth as a person is judged on Saturdays. And if you have a big crash in practice, I think it just takes a little bit of the sharpness away to right. He's, he's going to go out there and do his job and he's going to go through the motions, but being on the razor's edge, I think is really difficult to do after you have a huge crash like that. It, you're, you're just go into kind of survival mode instead of like super aggressive mode. Um, and that was just what I kind of watched when I watched Christian, that's kind of what I saw in his riding. Number four is Ken Roxon. And I was, uh, I was tempted to uh, think it was going to you know happen for him. You know, you watch time qualifying. He sets the fastest lap time. He looked super aggressive. And I'm like, I don't know. Cause he had won the last four motos. Like that's saying something when you've won the last four motos at a particular racetrack, I think it's fair to say you're good there, right? Like something with that racetrack clicks for you. And when you have 74 degree temperatures at, for the high, a track that you've gone one, 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 one on the past four, and you set the fastest time in qualifying, I, you know, what else are you looking for as an indicator that it's going to be a good day? And it, it didn't really pan out for, for Roxon so much. You know, he was okay, but it wasn't that type of day that we were all like, uh-oh, Roxon might be back today. It, that, that didn't necessarily happen. So um, he's all right. Like, he, I think he's just kind of going through the motions here. I don't think there's a lot of spark in him at the moment. That's just my personal opinion. Um, I think he's just trying to get through these last three. You know, there's a lot of talk going on with is he or won't he be back at Honda uh, I don't, my logic side says he will, because I don't know where else he's going to go. Honda needs a guy. 
right, for 450 Supercross, and Roxon can win. We know Roxon can win Supercross races. I personally think it's about money right now. I think Honda made an offer they felt like was fair based on Roxon's results as of late. I think, this is all my personal opinion, but I think Roxon and his agent both feel uh, insulted by that number, and they don't feel like it's lives up to what who Ken Roxon is and has been. So there's a disconnect and that's not atypical. Like that happens all the time. You know, a, a team or a, an employer thinks you're worth X because maybe you've been not performing as of late. And then the athlete or employee is looking at it going, but, 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 but look at all the things I've done over the years, right? The thing about, in my opinion, the thing about this is sponsors and teams and employers are paying you for future performance, not past performance. And if you look around, you look at the NFL, you look at other things, it's very rare that a player or any type of athlete or whatever will get a sponsorship deal based off of what they've done in the past. It's always based on what that person that's paying you thinks that you will do for them in the future. And for Ken Roxon, it's hard to make a case that his best days are still in front of him. I don't even know how you'd go about making that case. So if you're Honda and you're coming to it in that frame of mind, of course you're going to offer him less. Of course. Why are you going to pay the same rate or more for a rider who, whose best days are probably behind him? That's, that's tough. And I know Roxon probably doesn't want to hear that. And I know his agent, Steve Astovan, probably doesn't want to hear that. But to me, that's reality. And that's the situation that both of those two entities have to figure out. They either meet in the middle and both of them compromise, which I think most deals are born out of both sides compromising, or they go their separate ways. And if they go their separate ways, I don't know what that looks like for Ken Roxon. For Honda, they either get a Supercross fill-in and they wait for Jet to make the move up to the 450 class and outdoors, which he's going to do, or they just have Chase Sexton as their Supercross guy. Maybe they go that route too. I, again, as I mentioned, I personally think they sort it out. I think they come to an agreement somehow, some way. They find a way to, to meet in the middle a little bit um, because I think that's the best case scenario for both sides. If they don't figure it out, I think both of them lose in this scenario, and that's, that's never good. Like, you know, if both sides are coming out on the losing end, um, somebody let something, uh, you know, slip through the cracks there. So we'll see. It's an interesting dynamic to kind of watch play out. Jason Anderson is three and, uh, you know, he's a little bit off, right? He's not as good as Tomac and Sexton in this motocross championship. He, I think he would have to admit that. I certainly will admit that. That doesn't mean he's not great this summer because he got his first win. He's, you know, finishing on the podium more often than not as of late. And he's never been able to do that before. So I think if he is leaving these races bummed out, which I think he might be a little bummed looking at his attitude and the way he's kind of, uh, he, he just looks disappointed. I think that would be, um, a misservice to him, right? Because I, he is so good. And I, I love to see the improvement at this stage of his career. He's the best he's ever been in Lucas Oil promoter cross when many people did never think he would really, amount to much in this series, in the motocross series. And he's kind of proven all those people wrong. So I hope he can find perspective in that and understand like, yes, okay, great, fine. I'm not as good as Tomac and Sexton right now, but I'm the best I've ever been. And it's pretty damn good. Um, I won seven supercrosses. I won my first ever motocross race. Everyone has respect for me now. Um, that There's a lot to be said for that, in my opinion. So I hope he 
he, I know he doesn't listen to this. If anybody that knows him listens to this, I hope that, that, that he grasps, not because I said it. I just think, I hope he will, he can understand that in his own cognizance of how great of a year he's had and how much improvement he's made. Like he's, he has revitalized his entire career in 2022, in my opinion. Number two and number one are going to be obvious, but I have Sexton still at number two. You know, a lot of that is because Tomac was your Supercross champion and he won so many races. Um, but, I mean, Sexton's closing the gap, right? It, it's not close enough for me to move anything. Like, I'm not really even considering it yet. But Sexton is obviously climbing the ranks, right? He takes the red plate back. He wins the overall with an incredibly dominant 1-1. Uh, passing Tomac along the way and kind of yarding him both times, like just see ya, I'm out of here type rides, which were just wildly impressive to me. Um, so, you know, kudos to Chase Sexton. What a day. And honestly, like both motos, once he figured out the lines, he was gone, right? It took him a minute to catch Tomac and then pass him, but it was like a foregone conclusion. Once he figured things out, he was out of there. And uh, it was just wildly impressive to me to watch. Um, yeah, I, I did not expect that. Because when Tomac got out front in both motos, I'm like, here we go. Tomac's going to check out. And yeah, Sexton wasn't having any of that. So um, really, really impressive day by, uh, by Chase Sexton. Just he deserves all the credit in the world for, uh, for that day. So he stays at two, but um, trust me when I tell you, you know, if he becomes your Lucas Oil Pro Motocross champion and dethrones Eli Tomac from having the points lead, I'm going to have to look long and hard at who I have at number one going into Anaheim 1 next year. I don't know who will be number one, but I'm going to have to really consider Chase Sexton because this season has been nothing short of a massive breakout for Sexton. I, I don't know how else you could really look at it as other than his breakout year. Like he is coming into his own right in front of our eyes. Like if you were ever wondering if, if Chase Sexton is going to arrive in this series, guess what? We're watching it happen right now. Like it's, it's, we don't have to look far. You don't have to wonder anymore. Uh, that, that time is, is now. So um, con- congratulations to him. I know he feels great about himself. He should, he just has this air of confidence about him right now. And it's deserving. Um, when you watch him ride, he looks the part, he looks like he could be your champion. Tomac's going to strike back. I, I, I'm fully prepared for that. And I fully expect that. But I think even Tomac has to be like, damn dude, he's pretty good right now. Like it's going to take everything I've got to beat this guy. So clearly that leaves, uh, that leaves Eli as number one. Um, and Trust me when I tell you that Eli was not a happy camper uh, last weekend. And I mean, like, really not happy. I have to ask him these questions after the race, right? Like, that's my job as the podium interview guy. And he was, like, looking through me. Like, literally, like, I was, like, wanted to turn around and see if there was somebody behind me. Because he was looking, he was piercing a hole through me with his eyeballs. And... I know he's not mad at me, right? I didn't do anything, but I think it just speaks to the intensity and how angry he is at getting beat. You don't really see people come up and pass Eli Tomac. Like that just doesn't happen. So I think he was just like, I think he was taken aback a little bit by it, but he's also just raging pissed that, that he allowed it. And I say allowed it in air quotes, um, but I think he, he puts himself in a better he holds himself in a higher regard than that. He doesn't think anybody should be able to do that. 
and I don't, I don't really blame him. Like I, I kind of get it. Like he, nobody's really done that to him before. So he's not going to take that lightly. He's not going to be happy about it, nor should he, right? If he wants to be champion in this class, which he lost the red plate, he's going to have to be better than he was at Unadilla. Now, the other side is that I think he hates Unadilla. I'm almost positive. He hates Unadilla. Um, talking to people around him, hearing, you know, comments he was making. I don't, he was not happy with the racetrack. He didn't feel like it was very safe. He didn't like the lack of traction. So I, I think there was there were two dynamics. One, he's trying to win this championship. He needs to win races. But two, he reached his limit on how fast he felt like he could go on the track. And that was it. Like he wasn't going past that. He wasn't going to crash his brains out trying to stay with Chase Sexton on that racetrack. Now, if it was Bud's Creek, if it was Ironman, it was a track that maybe he's more comfortable with then I think you would have seen him maybe pick it up and push more because as we're getting down to the wire here, I just don't think Unadilla was going to be the track he was going to do it on. And I think that also frustrated him as that Sexton was having such a good day on a track where Eli didn't like it, right? If that makes sense. Um, you know, if uh, it had been a track where Eli was really comfortable and Chase wants to take it to whatever level. I think I think Eli's here for it, right? I think he's ready to go in that scenario. But on a track where he's not comfortable and Chase is going to have his best day, I think that bummed him out, right? I don't. I just think he was like, really, like of all days, you're going to have your best day like today on a track that I, I don't feel great and I don't want to push the envelope and it's super sketchy and super dry and the bumps are super square edged. You're going to have like an all time breakout day. Perfect, right? Like that would have been the perfect thing, like the ideal thing for him to say, like on the podium is like, great, awesome. You know, if you've ever seen uh, who does, oh, uh, Tommy Boy, right? He does that uh, where he's like, great, awesome, perfect. Uh, I think it was Tommy Boy. Could have been, uh, could have been Billy Madison. But either way, if you know the reference I'm talking about, that's exactly the feeling I thought he was kind of going through his head. Also a ton of anger. <laughs> don't don't leave out the anger part of that uh, equation as well. So Anyway, that's your, uh, that's your top 10. One-point lead for Sexton as we move into uh, to Bud's Creek. I mean, if you're looking for championship drama, I don't think you have to look far, right? This is everything you could ever want in a championship. Like, these two titans of the sport are setting a really blistering pace. And all I can hope is that they stay healthy till Motocross Nations because those two in this form, if they can stay healthy and work to keep pushing each other to get better – it's going to give us our best chance to win ever. And trust me, I've been going for 10 years and we've lost all of them. So I'm ready for it. <laughs> I'm going to get to be doing television in the booth at Motocross Nations, which I'm wildly excited for. And uh, yeah, it would be just really cool to see those two battle it out for the championship, may the best man win, but then be able to come together at Redbud and win this thing for Team USA. That would just be a, a really cool development. So that's it. Um, the last note I had was on, um, you know, this Justin Cooper and Christian Craig thing. I don't think it's been decided yet. I think it's still up for grabs. You know, Christian Craig didn't help his chances, and I think Justin Cooper did. So if you're Mike Pelletier or anybody on Team USA that has to be a decision maker, more power to you because I don't know what I would do in this scenario. Actually, I'll take that back. I know what I would do. I would, all, I would announce four guys, and I would say, hey, we're going to work through the last few rounds we're going to see, make sure everybody stays healthy. Let's see how Justin Cooper continues to develop. Let's see if Christian Craig can bounce back. And then we're going to take the best three guys, whoever that may be. If there's injuries, if there's 
you know, peaks and valleys in the riding. We're going to decide who the best three are at a later date, but these are the four. That's what I think is the best way. You know, I've mentioned a couple times, Paul Parabinos kind of threw that out there as a possibility and it's really grown on me. I don't see any downside to it. I think it keeps keeps everybody locked in. It keeps them engaged. It keeps them pushing hard. And uh, I think everybody kind of wins in that scenario. So we'll see what, we'll see what they decide, but uh, I think that's a, a good way to go about it. So that's it for this week. We'll talk to you after, uh, after Bud's Creek, three rounds to go, then a few weeks off and then uh, motocross nations. Thank you to all the sponsors. Thank you for listening. One more thing. I do a Patreon podcast on Saturday mornings. If you ever want to check that out, it is uh, patreon.com slash industry seating. And yeah, it costs like a dollar or five dollars or whatever you want to donate a month. I, I understand like it, it is a there is a paywall on it, um, but it's it's kind of a preview of the morning, right? I go through. I, I'm at the track Friday. We do a live show Friday night. Um, I talk to everybody. We do our rehearsals on Friday, and I get a ton of info, whether it's fantasy or you know behind the scenes stuff. And I try to share that on Saturday morning, so it's a nice little warm up for uh, for race day too. So. I would invite you to check that out and obviously help support me uh, in the meantime. So thanks again, and we'll talk to you next weekend.